0: and only hits the upright again that's impossible the bears season's going to end on a double doink, doink, doink. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know. It's the TC Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea then. Uh, Prognosis. I take the serious. Osmosis. You Why, know, it funny? It wasn't. It wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing, about anything. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. But don't you ever talk about me? Yeah. I don't know that idea. That's the result you're going get. It's the Doctor TC Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh. The Doctor is now. And a very good Tuesday to you. Here we go. Kicking it off for you. NFL week number one on the horizon. Thursday night kickoff. Looking forward to that. Dallas Cowboys against the Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. College football in full swing. And hope everyone had a wonderful Labor Day weekend. And if you like your college football, you got a full of it, didn't you? Uh huh. T.C. Martin. Your boy, Frank. Your boy, Numbchuck, on the other side of the glass. There's a lot of boys out there. How's it going, boy? Um,
1: <laughs> and my is, boy, is, TC. Yeah. As my buddy Gary used to say back home, if you see a boy in the studio, slap him and send him back home to his mother. I've been a man for quite some time now. Thank you very much. So, yeah.
0: Let's hear from the man, Ballpark <laughs> Frank. I'm
1: a man. I'm not the man. What's I'm going A-man. on, man? I'm I'm doing okay. You know, it was a long weekend. Uh, you know, your boy saw, saw okay. a lot of football, saw a lot of tennis. Yeah. You know, was a little upset because, like I told you last week, it was a uh, off week for Australian rules football. So <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> because the playoffs will be starting this coming week uh, weekend coming up. Yeah. So, but that'll be exciting. All but right. um, yeah, you know, uh, saw a lot of different sports out there and. Uh,
0: it was all good. All right. Hopefully everyone ate well during the course of, of the weekend, too. Because that's important. You know, yeah, We got I, sports. We got to eat. Got to eat well. Yeah. That, that didn't happen. <laughs> all right. Uh, terrible Tuesday. Yes, we get to vent our frustrations in the sporting world. Uh, great show again on tap today. We are going to talk to Raquana Williams, the guard for the Las Vegas Aces, uh, the former All-Star, 10-year WNBA veteran, she will join us today. The Aces get ready to take on the Minnesota Lynx in a huge game tomorrow night at the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay. Special start time, 6 o'clock. It'll be broadcast on ESPN two, but of course, get the radio version uh, with yours truly down the dial. So is that why it's a 6 p.m. game? Because
1: it's an ESPN game?
0: Yes. There you go. There that it makes is. sense. There you go. And it's a big game with playoff implications. The Aces taking on the Minnesota Lynx, who have won five in a row, have defeated the Aces twice already this year. Aces need to win this one, too, because yes, they, they dropped
1: that game against Chicago.
0: Yes, they did. So, uh, yes. So we'll talk to Raquana Williams and get her thoughts on the stretch run. Four games left. And you can get tickets because it's open now. So individual game tickets. So go see the Aces tomorrow night against the Minnesota Lynx. One more regular season home game after that, and then the playoffs will be here. And uh, Matthew Holt will join us as well today. We'll talk to Matt regarding Week 1, the NFL. We start taking a peek ahead. And, of course, Friday we'll be at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. Our best bet segment gets back cracking again. And I uh, will also talk to Matt about the college football Week 1, now that we're past Week 0. So that's good. So,
1: which never uh, made any sense to me in the first place, week zero. But uh, wonder if there's any Cougar fans still in town here. <laughs> they were well represented at Legion Stadium Saturday night.
0: Yeah, yes, they were. The the Cougars. Uh, more, I'd say, three quarters of Allegiant Stadium was blue. Compared to Arizona's red and white. And uh BYU. And, and that
1: might be generous to Arizona. Yeah. With three quarters.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh it, it, it was a very good atmosphere, very nice atmosphere. So we'll dive into all of that today. Recapping a busy college football weekend and a look ahead to the NFL. But let's get it cracking. It's Tuesday. It's terrible
1: Tuesday.
0: That's terrible.
1: Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the
0: hell he's
2: smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. It's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone
0: wrong in the sporting world. Well, I know it's my favorite time of the year. My friend's uh, favorite time of the year, the U.S. Open. You know, I used to really like the U.S. Open. I used to love tennis, and I still enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, but... It's this story that I'm about ready to talk about that has driven me away from tennis. We're in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, and there are no Americans left in the field. No men, no women. And how rare is this, you might want to say? It's very rare. The first time in the Open era. And what is the Open era, you might ask? 140 years, Frank. 140 years. There is no American in the quarterfinals. We're not talking about finals. We're not talking about winning a U.S. Open. But our heritage, our granddaddy of them all, not the Rose Bowl, but the U.S. Open, and there are no Americans left, and we've just reached the quarterfinal round, please explain this to me.
1: Well, it's really quite simple to explain. The Americans haven't got it done. Serena and Venus are getting a little bit older. Uh, Sophia Kennan couldn't be in the tournament this year due to COVID issues. Uh, the men's haven't been that deep in a while. El Pelka's coming on. He's a good young player. Tia made a nice run, but uh, then he finally ran into a buzzsaw, and he got eliminated. So, yeah, I mean, it's not that surprising to me, but I don't even see that issue. I mean, I hear people talking about that kind of stuff, I honestly couldn't care less. Okay, I want to see the best players in the world. When you watch the World Cup in soccer, if the USA isn't there, you don't quit watching. You watch Germany. You watch all the other teams out there. Who, if the best are still playing, that's what
0: it ought to be right. about. That is a great take from a from a person who loves tennis, which is great. But we're talking about the. Average sports fan. And you're old enough where you can remember that tennis was right up there with baseball, football, basketball, even more so than hockey, horse racing back in the day. We talk about that, how that was prevalent because it had the coverage with ABC, Wide World of Sports, CBS, and all that other kind of stuff. And that's gone by the wayside. But with tennis, with the Grand Slam, with those four tournaments, with all this prestige, and we talk about how players in other countries have gotten better, yes, I'm not saying this is a surprise. What I'm saying is this is a disappointment and it's disturbing. And this is the exact reason that I can point to why ratings have fallen off with tennis over the last decade, that Americans are not uh, attached to this sport because when you don't have Americans uh, in there and you don't have those type of local storylines, regional storylines, and now national storylines, you lose your audience, and it's so easy to dive off into other things. And this isn't a rip on tennis, like I said, I love tennis, but it's a rip on I don't know, it, it's, it's a rip on why we're not developing our younger players. Maybe it's like little league baseball, we're seeing it in major league baseball where we're seeing you know a smaller. Portion of American players every year, it's still is still large, but every year it dwindles, little league numbers dwindle, and, and we're seeing this with youth tennis and everything else. And I'm saying that this is why this sport is difficult to watch. For the casual sports fan. Tennis fans, of course. Soccer fans, they're going to continue to to watch that. Even though USA is not very good, you're going to find it. But if the USA was good on the men's side in soccer, they'd be watching. If we had Jimmy Connors, if we had uh, John McEnroe, if we had Pete Sampras, if we had people like that, the ratings would be higher. We would be talking more about it. But this is a problem for the American sports fan. That's well, all I'm saying. It, it,
1: it probably is. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sure that people long for Agassi and Sampras. Like you yep. mentioned, Connors and and you know, and, and and McEnroe, they were dominant, you know? The women, you know, Billie Jean King and players like that. Obviously the Williams sisters dominated for years and years, but Serena's had some injury problems. She's towards the twilight of her career. Uh the amazing thing to me is, and maybe people don't know this because they're not following tennis, I don't understand why the United States has such a poor showing. And Canada is just having player after player after player all over the place. I mean, you know, Eugenie Bouchard a while back was number one. Then she kind of fell on hard times. But now the women are great. The men have like five guys in the top 20 or something. Canada is thriving turning out superstars. And the
0: U.S. can't get any. A hundred and forty years. I mean, that is alarming. I don't think no one's talking about it. Nobody even knows about it. I mean, that is an alarming stat. I mean, we could not say this. And probably any other sport. And, again, this is, I, I miss it. I miss seeing those Americans. And, unfortunately, I mean, this is the, the reason where this sport is right now, I think, you know, with the casual sports fan. But there are great things that are happening. There's some interesting things that are happening in the U.S. Open. And there's one of those stories that keeps coming alive. It's like a flower that continues to bloom. And we talked about it last week. So let's talk about it again, because here it is. Poss, we talked about it, taking the excessive timeouts. We won't have to talk about him anymore, because he got eliminated. But uh, Garbine Mugurusa let uh, Barbora Krejcikova know that, uh, what she thought about her in their match that took place a couple days ago. Said that she was very unprofessional for doing what? Taking a medical timeout. Now, just as uh, Mugurusa had the mojo in the second set of their match. Krejcikova was down 4 nothing at the time and then said, Time out! I need a medical timeout. Now, this was a little bit different. This is a little bit different than your bathroom break. She came out and said that she wanted to see the trainer for a diaphragm issue. Now, I don't know if this is legitimate or not, but after Krejcikova won, uh, after the, the match rejoined, uh, she won seven straight points. She went up six five after she got her elongated timeout, and then she also angered Muguruza by taking more time in between points down in the around the fi- uh, during the course of the final set as she was walking slowly over to her towel over and over. So finally, Kretschkoval won the match. When the match was over, they went to shake hands like they traditionally do there at uh, you know at, at the net. And uh, Muguruza told her, she goes, your behavior today was so unprofessional and walked off.
1: I was watching that match. Okay. So uh, during the time, and definitely, Krachikova was on the court and she did take more time. Now, the thing is, there's a, there's a clock on the server, but you are supposed to play at the server speed. So Muguruza should have been able to dictate the pace of her service game. She was not allowed to because Krzykova went over and took the towel. I think it was 10 straight points when she was serving and when she wasn't serving. As far as calling the trainer over, she was reaching her abdominal area for about four or five games before that. She was obviously in pain and distress trying to fight through it. So I don't think that was phony on her part. Did she play... A little bit, maybe, gamesmanship and give herself a little bit more time? Yes, she did. She most certainly did. Did she break any rules like Sitsipas said when he played? No, she did not. Not by the rules of the game. Mugarutha was upset because she wasn't playing as well. She was playing this girl who basically exploded on the scene when she won the French Open and nobody knew a thing about her. I didn't have a problem with it. Yes, I also wasn't on the court out there. Remember when Naomi Osaka won her first U.S. Open? And Serena had the outburst and slamming rackets around and all that kind of stuff. You know, women, just like the men, play to their advantages all the time. They use the shot clock. They use the serve clock. They use different things. Jimmy Connors used to play with his strings all the time and make the server wait for him to be ready. Um, uh, Belinda Bencic, just in her match, kept on stretching out her back and taking extra time. It's not an unusual thing. The loser's never happy about it, and it's a, an excuse and a reason for them to lose. She didn't
0: break any rules, because if she would have, She would have been deducted a point and got warnings for it. Well, that's the thing. There are no rules. And we talked about last week that this is why and we're seeing more of it now because, again, we always talk about copycat leagues and copycat. Everybody wants to do this because we're seeing more of this than we ever have because there are no rules. You're right. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's infuriating to these players. It's infuriating to fans again. For now, these long breaks in the middle matches, which we've never had before, at this length, and now with all the other coverage that we're seeing, especially in probably the most prestigious uh, you know tournament there is, at least here in the United States, you know one of the Grand Slams in the U.S. Open, this is coming to light here, and it's just funny how the after that break, if she was in this much pain, which she possibly could be, and, I, and I'll get to that here in a minute, but how she turned it on immediately, winning those next seven points, and went on to 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 win handily where before if she was in that much pain and just this little bit of a rest there made her either get her second wind or but she didn't it didn't make her miraculously better but she sure played like it so that was a little bit strange
1: well yes but again if you watch the match she played like it because she started hitting out she started going for winners that she wouldn't have earlier she was basically saying i either got to hit a winner cuz i can't last that long on the points and by doing that playing with that desperation She took control of the match and she hit the winners. She wasn't knocking them out. She was hitting the lines. She played excellent tennis. And if you question whether or not she was actually hurt or not, she had to be helped off the court, almost carried off the court after the match. Now, the announcers were wondering, was that because of what Garbina Muguruza said to her and... I don't think that was it. She was obviously in pain. They immediately took her into the first training room when they got back inside the facility and immediately started working on her. She was definitely in distress and pain. Now, I also know pain tends to hurt more when you're losing a little bit. But she was going for winners where she wouldn't have before saying, that's the only chance I have. And it threw Muguruza's game off because she wasn't expecting those shots at that time.
0: Yeah, and and she must have been in pain because, like I said, after the match she stayed there in in her chair, and it looked like you know she definitely you know was in pain. So don't don't question whether it, it, the she was in pain or not. She Again, couldn't walk off the just, court on yeah, her own. She left yeah. her
1: rackets and everything else behind. They literally
0: almost carried her off the yeah. court. I think that was the first time that we've we've seen a uh, timeout for a diaphragm.
1: <laughs> I don't even know how to follow that. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> I'm I'm going to completely change it around a little bit here and go in a different direction. Um remember Carl Farnsworth? Yeah, Cubs the pitcher. pitcher? Yeah. yeah. He used to throw the ball very hard but a lot of times very straight. So he would get rocked when his ball didn't have any He was like 94, it. 95 right down the middle. Yeah. Well, he's getting some uh people on the social media world not happy with him right now because he recently ripped a player saying that he couldn't believe that he was taking off a game because he was basically a little bit uncomfortable or he hit a foul ball and it hit his foot. He didn't name the player by name, but everybody knows that he was talking about Trey Mancini, the outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles. Mm -hmm. Trey Mancini beat stage three cancer. He's played 128 games this year. And so for Farnsworth to be calling him out, former major leaguers, current major leaguers, and fans all over the place are saying, you know what? Your moment in the game is over. Just shut the hell up. How dare you take a guy on who sat out all last year because he was fighting cancer and chemo and everything else. Who the hell are you to call out Trey Mancini? Farnsworth now backing up and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say a name. I didn't say a team. I just said he used the exact same quote about the player that the Baltimore press release had with Mancini missing that game. He was talking about Mancini. Everybody knows he was. Now he's trying to backtrack. You know what? If you're gonna make an ass out of yourself, at least go all the way and own up to it. Backing off it now? Hmm. Who looks like the weak one in this situation?
0: Yeah. If you're gonna call somebody out and you're gonna insinuate and play a guessing game, it's not hard to figure that out. So if you're good, first of all, if you're, you shouldn't even go there with that. If you're Kyle Farnsworth, if you're gonna go there, then at least just. Go all the way, you know. Like you said, shouldn't even gone there. And as far as Trey Mancini goes, hands down, comeback player of the year. What this guy has come through just to even get back on the baseball field to get back, even if he was a part-time player, which he's not. But the year that he's having, it, again, no need for voting, no need for anything, no need for any of the nominees. Major League Baseball comeback player of the year is Trey Mancini, no doubt about it. Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. The Irish uh, defeated Florida State in one of the most entertaining games over the weekend on Sunday night. The Irish had to take uh, overtime to actually finish off Florida State. 41-38 was the final. And uh, Brian Kelly was not happy with his team's performance. Why? Well, because the Irish blew an 18-point fourth-quarter lead. And if you're laying seven with the Irish on Sunday, you weren't too happy with the way Florida State ca- came back. Now, there's a lot of sidebar stories to this uh, this game here. It was Bobby Bowden night. And so basically you had the death game there. Florida State had fans in the stands. Uh, it was very emotional. Uh, it was great. And then there was a story of Mackenzie Milton, who basically has been one of my favorite college football players for the last few years because – Before he got injured at Central Florida, this guy was a fantastic quarterback. He was electric. He could run. He could throw. And he was a big reason why UCF was so good. And I remember watching the game against South Florida going back three years ago when he got injured and carted off the field. And basically they thought his leg was going to have to be amputated. And he was done. And uh, the guy rehabbed and rehabbed. And Central Florida, you know, he wanted to come back to Central Florida and then basically Central Florida says, you know what? Uh, we've got Gabriel who is your understudy and we've got him. We're going to go with him. And Mackenzie Milton was ready to play last year, but they said, nah, yeah, we're not going to play you. So he transferred to Florida State. He transfers to Florida State and he has a great spring, but they do not make him the starter. They go ahead and go with another player. So the other quarterback. And the other quarterback, had two interceptions earlier in the game and was about to lead Florida State to a drive. I believe second play of the drive, his helmet got knocked off. So he had to come out for a play. And then here comes McKenzie Milton. McKenzie Milton, crowd on their feet, staying ovation, going crazy. And then McKenzie Milton fires a 22-yard completion. And then the other quarterback is about ready to go back on. And Florida State goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Norvell says, just hang back here for a little bit. And Mackenzie Milton led this comeback. And uh, also another sidebar story to this emotional game as well too is former Notre Dame um, offensive lineman transferred to Florida State and he paid for uh, a longtime friend, a a friend of the Irish program back in the day, uh, this paraplegic uh, boy, and his family. And he flew them in to Tallahassee for this game. So he had all this going, and I think people – they were rooting for Florida State, said, Hey, they're going to get this game, uh, you know, they're going to win this game. And that didn't happen.
1: And that player actually got yep.
0: injured in the game
1: and had to be helped off the field.
0: Correct, exactly. So it was a great game, a great uh, college football start uh, on Sunday night. So uh, Notre Dame kicked a field goal in overtime. They won 41 38. And after all that, Brian Kelly wasn't too happy with his team's performance.
2: Yeah, uh, you know. I'm in favor of uh, execution.
0: Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. Yes, he did say that. Our team should be executed tonight. Wow. So, the interviewer for ESPN who did this the, the sideline interview after the post game there, uh, she was a little caught off guard. Then Brian Kelly uh, the second part of that just went, in, "Well, we'll give Florida State credit this and that blah blah blah." So, of course, this came up first question in the post game press conference. Uh, Brian Kelly was asked, "What do you mean by this?" Oh, it's an old John McKay c-
1: quote. I was kidding. It was tongue in cheek. It wasn't funny. It's, a, it's an old, it's an old John McKay quote that he used after the game. Um, so I was, I was talking and and you know making a joke about it. Why it was taken serious. Are you people crazy?
3: Not
0: everyone knows us like, knows you like we do, Brian.
1: Oh, it's a John McKay (laughs) quote that he used after a game. I was stealing one of his old quotes and being funny. I guess nobody likes to be funny anymore. So, yeah,
2: if you want to, you know, take me to town on that, please
3: do.
0: And a lot of people have been taking him to town. So, when you hear that, what
1: do you think? I think, once again, like we've talked to some of our guests on this show, the wussification of America. Are you kidding me? John McKay, when he was coaching Tampa Bay and the team was absolutely terrible, was asked about his team execution, and he said, I'm all for it. It was obviously a play on that. And if you're too young to remember that, give me a break. Do you really think he's talking about bringing a gallows and hanging 53 players or something? Come on. What the hell is wrong with people today everybody is such a wimp and a wuss you can't say anything he's right nobody wants to be funny anymore everybody wants to act like you're always taking oh he he wants to execute his seat shut up just shut up it's football it's a contact sport you can have a little bit of humor his team won and he said it it was obviously tongue-in-cheek if you're offended by that then quit watching football i'm so tired
0: of this weak society (laughs) here's the thing about this though it wasn't funny. There's no laugh track. No one would laugh. If uh, we said that, no one would laugh. It's not funny. And he took the opportunity to basically... This is what the point that, that people are missing here. He's not making a joke. He's ripping his team. That's what he's doing here. What do you think John McKay was doing? No one's talking about John McKay on an Owen 14 team. You're talking about Notre Dame, a top five team in the country here. He's ripping his team. This is this is the problem here. Maybe that's how he motivates. Yeah. How do you think? Um- we're, listen, you're you're on the you're on a different page here. Okay, it's not funny. I thought it was. And funny. And you're talking about wissification. Agree, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about here. He's insulting his team is what he's doing here, and. No one's literally thinking, oh, execution. Now, there are those people. You're right. There are people that are going to get on social media and say, oh, you shouldn't say that, this and that. But he's not being funny. And here's the problem. If, if Brian Kelly thinks that's a joke, nobody was laughing in that press conference until he was saying, come on, and talking to the Notre Dame people that covered. But the national people in that press conference are going like, that's not funny we're just trying to figure out you know why you said it is it that big of a deal no and people are going to react for the you know you know hey we're reading too much into this that's one thing but brian kelly can't read his crowd that's my point here it's like you're saying you're making a joke and it's and it's no different than the last story that we talked about uh, that you brought up it's with kyle farnsworth it's like if you're gonna say something, then then own it or whatever. Don't back off and say it was a joke. You just could have said, I guess you guys didn't see where I was going with that. It's a John McKay quote. End of story. Not joke, because you weren't joking. He was being serious, saying, We sucked tonight in the fourth quarter. So yeah, we should be executed. He wasn't there's was no laugh track. There was no joke. He was insulting his team, and coaches could do that. They should do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, no, I mean, I, I, you ever seen what Bear Bryant did
1: before he got to Alabama right? when he was even a bigger a-hole than he was at Alabama? Yeah. Woody Hayes, Frank Cush, there's a lot of guys out there yeah. who were actually very successful. It's a different time. It's a different era. Jim I'm just, right? I, I'm just yep. tired of everybody being so soft today. Yeah. And whether it was a joke or not, maybe that's how he motivates his team. Maybe that's why they don't win in the BCS or something and they only have limited success here and there. But for everybody to make such a big deal out of it, I just don't get it. What it shows me is the different times in 2021 than we used to have. And, yes, we see it in all aspects of life. Maybe I'm just an old guy, but I'm just tired of everybody being so
0: damn soft. Well, that's my thing. I'm agreeing with you on that part. I agree with you. And, like I said, we've yes, the, the people are too sensitive with that. But, again, I'm ripping Kelly here because he's not owning up to it. He's trying to back off now saying it was a joke. No. You were trying to say your team sucked, and you go into that locker room afterwards and say, hey, we're lucky we're 1-0 here tonight, but you guys were terrible you know, in the fourth quarter. <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave you with this one here. Uh, last night's game, uh, we had a great game with that Notre Dame-Florida State game. And then last night, Monday night football, a lot of hype around this one too. They had the A crew for ESPN, Ole Miss and Louisville. What a dog of a game. This game was such a blowout. But here's the problem. The game was stopped on four occasions to look at potential targeting calls. In the first half. In the first half, this happened. Now, here's the problem here. On all four, a flag was not thrown. And the the referee had to get a call down from upstairs and say, we're going to take a look at a potential targeting call. And the announcers are going, what? Where, where was this? We didn't see this. So now, I'm just hoping this is not going to be a thing because we already have four-hour college football games, and this is the one time I'm going to say, well, yeah, replay and all this kind of stuff drives me nuts because you're not throwing a flag for the targeting. And on all four occasions, they ended up throwing a flag because it was targeting. But how come an official couldn't notice it from the beginning why he had to be called down before the next play was going to be run? So, uh, yes, is this a thing to come. We understand that in the NFL and in college football, there's a point of emphasis with officials, certain things they want to take a look at. And, and I'm all for that. But man, this was ridiculous last night.
1: Well, no, it isn't. And, and I thought the whole premise of the thing was, if in doubt, throw the flag and then they can review mm-hmm. it and then they can call it not targeting it if it is. They never saw it. Though. But, That's the problem. They never even saw it. So what are they looking at? Yeah. If it's happening to the guy where the ball is at, which is what targeting is,
0: it's, it's someplace around on there one for play, the most part. On one play, it was on a kickoff on a block. Okay. But, and
1: that's why I said yeah. for the most part, it's usually where right. the ball and, is. And the first three were. So if yeah. you don't see it there, then what are you looking at? Yeah. And, and even at that, and I understand safety of the players and all this and that. And I'm not saying go back to the old days of clotheslines and different things that you know that were done way back in the day or Fred the Hammer Williamson mm. jumping down and giving somebody a forearm shiver like he's coming off the top rope. But for this kind of stuff now, it's like when they slow it down to super slow-mo, it always looks terrible. Yeah. I mean, it looks like targeting all the time. And the receiver, or running back, or whoever, when they duck into it in that uh, – how, how come an offensive player never gets a targeting when they're putting their head down to try to initiate the contract oh, yeah. or yeah. something? And, it's just,
0: and that happened last night, the, too. The, but, yeah. the, the
1: rule doesn't make any sense, and there's no consistency. And officials and everybody else, I thought I used to know what football was. These last few years with replay and that, I don't even know what the hell I'm watching anymore half the time. Well,
0: I didn't know what I was watching last night either. And when I give you this final stat about uh, what t- transpired in this game last night in the first half, This game was so bad, I don't know if it was football or not, what I was watching. At the end of the first half, Louisville had zero. Yep. They had no points. And quarterback Malik Cunningham, at that point in time, was the leading passer, rusher, and receiver for Louisville in the first half. Yes, he pitched the ball out and caught a pass himself. Yes. How... That's how bad they were. Where well, your quarterback was your leading receiver as well. So, about the only thing he didn't lead in was targeting. <laughs> That's true. All right. Some terrible Tuesday takes from us. If you got it, you can always hit us on Twitter at TCMartin21VGKFrank. At Aces basketball. We talk about that with Raquana Williams next.
1: You're listening to some bullshit on the TC Monitor. Chub Rock jumps up on the scene With a lean and a pocket full of green The green doesn't symbolize I made it on the top But RoboCop last year was a shock The tone of the Popeye cut shook your butt Kids are screaming the media says what kind of music is this for you The dance to the man with the plan And the band demands you Leave the
2: smack and the crack For the whack for the vial And the knock with a smile like
0: that You know this song should have made our list I mean Chub Rock one of the best I mean your boy Chuck, He's jamming back there It definitely would not have made money Yeah <laughs> You never know. You did pick Waterfalls, little TLC, little Chub Rock. I mean, come on. I can see you in the, in the club in Chicago or back in Vegas. Come on. No. Bob in the head? Yeah. No. Come on, man. No. Come on. Let's go. No. Yeah. Not happening. This is a great song to play at a game, Wouldn't it happen when it was popular. Sure as hell wouldn't happen, now. Oh, come on, man. See, so you, you need to open up, man. You need to open up a little bit. I played Waterfalls. Uh, the, I did open up. <laughs> That's too mellow, man. All right. Uh yeah, and, and we got a lot of uh, positive response again yesterday since we were off yesterday. The uh TC Martin show best of yesterday was a replay of our Songfest yesterday. So, great stuff there. And uh, that was pretty pretty cool to to listen to that going on.
1: There you go. So, the Martin music marathon?
0: Yeah, that's what exactly what it was. The Las Vegas Aces back in action tomorrow night as they take on the Minnesota Lynx and four games remaining in the regular season two games at home and aces got to get the win tomorrow night and joining us now is the guard the sharpshooting guard one of the best three-point shooters in the wnba the 10-year vet and she's in her first season with the aces former all-star raquana Bebe williams what's up Bay? I'm doing well, TC. How are you? I'm good. We appreciate you uh, taking some time and joining us after that uh, that hard practice today. You know? uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, so let's talk about the last couple games. Uh, girl, you've been on fire. 21 points <laughs> Thursday night in the victory against the Chicago Sky in front of the home crowd. And then Sunday you had 14 points. Uh, your scoring mm-hmm. really has picked up. Are, is it because you're mm-hmm. looking more for your shot or is it just because... You know, the injuries are happening, you're getting more minutes, and Bill is saying, hey, Bay, fire it up.
3: Great. Right. Um, Bill asked me to, uh, to kind of change my mindset again. I know at the beginning of the season, we, uh, in the preseason, we lost Angel. Um, and then I was uh, inserted into the starting lineup, and then he asked me to be that lockdown defender. Um, but along the stretch, since uh, after the Olympic break, he asked me to be more of a scorer as well as being a lockdown defender. So being able to do it on both ends of the floor, um, I just stepped up to the plate, accepted the challenge, um, especially being a vet. Um, I know the ins and outs, and having cheat sheets and uh, Sugar and Tanisha, it makes my job pretty easy.
0: You know, you mentioned Angel McCautry here, and uh, it's, it's great to see her being honored the way she is. And if people don't know, mm-hmm. uh, Angel was part of the – 25 greatest players in the WNBA, and the WNBA announced that yesterday. They're calling it the W25, and there are 10 10 current players that are actually on this list, including five-time Olympian Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, and to have Angel McCautry be on this list is pretty rewarding. And when you talk about the Aces, you've already got the reigning MVP in Asia Wilson. They've got, you know, what, mm-hmm. three, four number one overall picks. You've got, you know, right. Liz Cambage, who is great as she is. You and Chelsea mm-hmm. Gray come over. Uh, it's just, it, it's amazing how this roster is, has been constructed. And we talk about it all the time. But I think, you know, yesterday with this announcement just really shed light on wait a minute. The Las Vegas Aces have one of the 25 best players in Correct. the history of this league, of the 25 years. And, as you know, she has never stepped foot on the court at the Mandalay Bay, unfortunately, because of the okay. treacherous injuries that, that she's had.
3: Correct.
0: Yeah. So, talk a little bit about that. You know, relationship with Angel McCautry, and even though she hasn't been on the floor with you guys, that she's always there to basically be at practice. She's there at games, and she's there really as a mentor to a lot of the young
3: players. Absolutely, um, it's like having a, a, a player coach. Really, um, Angel, her energy—like uh, when you come off the floor during games, she talks to you, give you pointers, and. Honestly, during the entire game, you could hear Angel saying something every possession. So to have that and knowing she's not uh, able to suit up, it only makes me wonder what it would have been like had she been able to suit up. I think we definitely uh, would have been in a diff- different predicament, but just having her around consistently, it's a blessing, honestly. Mm-hmm.
1: You mentioned the fact of what she does on the court during the games and that. How about in practices and even on the road and that? Just, um, What have you picked up from her as far as being a professional and knowing what to expect from the team and the game itself and everything and, and getting ready for the grind of the long season and that and now getting ready for this playoff stretch, getting ready for all the games that really count in the second season? Uh, pretty much just
3: trying to be a reflecting image of her. Um. Like her leadership, everything she brings to the floor, um, it, makes you, it makes your job easy. Even though our record hasn't really reflect on having her on the floor, um, just having her around has been enough for us.
0: Raquana Williams uh, joins us in her first season with the Aces. You and Chelsea Gray came over from the LA Sparks. Talk a little bit about the adjustment that it took, uh, not just you know on the floor and fitting in with this team, but then you know playing for Bill Lambier as well too.
3: Yeah, it was definitely was a major adjustment. Uh, first, it had to start with understanding who Bill was as a as a coach and, and as a coach off the court um so definitely took a couple of conversations um but he's a coach who he allows you to play your game um up to a certain extent when he feel like you've done something he haven't seen before he'll tell you um, so i think having a coach who's honest but at the same time having a coach who give you freedom and who's helping you grow as a player uh we definitely need more of that but it's been fun um Bill is actually, he's a really funny guy, and I've definitely enjoyed my time with him and getting to know him and and not just seeing him on the opposite side. So it's been fun for me.
0: So you and Chelsea Gray have uh, a very unique perspective here because both of you guys played for one NBA player, and Derek Fisher. You know, who coached the Sparks, and then now you go and you play for Bill Lambeer, and they're the only two that are former players in the entire league, and you played for both of them, and both had exceptional, exceptional NBA careers, both, you know, multiple champions. Uh, What what was your takeaway, you know, playing for Derek Fisher compared to Bill Lambeer? Completely two
3: different styles. Uh, Bill is rough, aggressive. Uh, Not saying, in a sense, Fish isn't. They're both very smart and intelligent with saving the body. That's one thing I say I learned from both uh, about how important it is to stay off your feet. And it's not all about throughout the entire season, pending work, but seeing yourself on film and and having extended film sessions versus going on the court and pounding, pounding, pounding. They both had that same uh, mindset and the coaching style with rest in
0: the body. So that's the biggest thing I took from it. But who's the better coach now? Come on, be honest. There's no no comparison, (laughs) is there, right, babe? Right?
3: (laughs) Definitely no comparison.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Playing playing for a coach (laughs) like Bill Lambeer, have you had to change anything or tinker anything in your game and also come into a team that is is, as talented and as deep as the Aces are?
3: Understanding a good shot versus a poor shot. Understanding that having two of the most dominant posts in the game that I don't need to look for my shot every single time. Like, we have dominant posts in Asia and Liz and and De'Erica that people seem to forget about, even though she's been playing a lot of the three. She's a four as well. Um, So, adjusting my game around them. Uh, which I say has made it very easy and, and fun for me, having having such dominant posts uh,
0: on the team. You know, I want to, you just touched on something there. Uh, you uh-huh. are a, f- a former, a lot of people may not know this, you won the award of Sixth Woman of the Year back in 2013. And we know that D'Ericka D- Hamby has won that the last two years, and she gets a lot of accolades for that, and, and it's, uh, it's phenomenal. Uh, go back uh-huh. to when you were doing that, and to get that award and to be that, you know, to be recognized for someone I'm sure that, you know, would love to start. And you even mentioned in the beginning of this, that more than likely you were going to be mm-hmm. coming off the bench this year if Angel McCautry was right. was healthy, if she didn't get injured. Right. But but talk about that role and how tough it is. And then I want you to trans uh, transcend that over and talk about, you know, D.R.K. Hamby. Yeah.
3: Um, it's honestly a mindset, um, accepting that, we know we have two sets of groups that could start having the initial starters and then having players who come off the bench. Like D could be a starter on this team or any team in the WNBA. But having to switch your mindset of, okay, I know exactly when I'm coming in. I know exactly what's expected. So go do it. Like, you're the first off the bench. is it's really nothing stopping you. You are the star of the second group, uh, which then also makes your job easy because we know where the ball going. We know what D is going to give us. uh, And for me coming off the bench, it was more so of, I was nervous. I was scared. Um, I used to have to get a feel for the game, but now you could start me or bring me off the bench. Being a 10 year vet, I'm just ready for whatever, because at the end of the day, the goal is to win a championship. So whatever I need to do, I'm definitely going to do it. And I think D has has done a great job of accepting that she is our sixth woman, um, as well as KP, and having to switch their mindsets. They've done such a, a wonderful job and stayed professional, whether they had to uh, give extended minutes or bite the bullet and take less minutes. So I think they've done a great job of being professionals.
0: Have you ever been on a team like that where you feel, hey, you know what, I I probably deserve to start or I think I'm better than that person that that has that spot? Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, I know a lot of players go through this. It probably really depends on the team and how successful they are and the relationship that you have with the coach. But uh, just talk about your personal experience.
3: Uh, Absolutely. Um, But I'm I'm always team first, me second. Um, Whatever the greater good of the team, I'm, I'm for it um and like uh, similar to kp's situation like it's so hard if we start kp and chelsea because those are our dominant point guards so who would be the point guard coming off the bench so we can't exhaust them so it makes sense for kp to sacrifice for the greater good of the team uh, which i always talk to her about mindset your mental state like We know you're a starter, but what we need right now is for you to lead the second group. You're still going to play starter minutes. That's the the great thing about it. Even though you're not starting the game, you're still going to play 25-plus minutes. So just switch your mindset. Use that time on the bench to see what the defense and, and the offense is doing. Come in and either pick the energy up or keep the energy there. That's the job I feel like as a bench player. Either you change the Florida game to pick it up or you keep it where it is. That That—that was my mindset coming off the bench.
1: We know that this year has been trying for a lot of people out there. What's been the most difficult part of it for you? Is it playing with some new teammates? Is it, uh, you know, that the, the arenas were, you know, only a limited amount of fans and now they're getting bigger again? Is, or, Or is it something else out there? Because, you know, like I say, there's been a lot of challenges and things that now as you're getting ready for the playoffs, what's been the most challenging?
3: Um, I would, uh, like I said before, always been the travel. Um, Not being able to fly charter flights, and we have the resources to fly charter flights, it's hard on the body. Whether you have a layover or you can't directly go, to the back side of the airport and get on a, a private plane, it's the travel. Like, people don't understand the sacrifices and the toll it takes on our bodies. Uh, and the differences make versus going through customs, having to sit at the gate, versus going to the back of the airport and getting directly on a private plane. Um, the travel always takes a toll, eventually, is my thought.
0: And it seems like, unfortunately, there's at least one or two of these cases or incidents the uh, last couple seasons. And you guys went through that when you went back to Connecticut, the East Coast trip last time. I mean, just kind of take our listeners through what you actually had to endure because you guys are trying to, you know, go ahead of the, you know, the the storm, the hurricane that they were forecasting back there. So you guys left a day early, so it's another day on the road. But wasn't there something like a five-hour layover, and then you guys couldn't even eat? I mean, you guys got stuck at a Walmart at 10 o'clock at night, right? I mean, just kind of detail for our listeners what you guys went through.
3: Yeah, that was a little bit crazy. Um, Having a game the night before and then having to wake up super early in the morning to fly and then having trouble in the airport with bags and then being in Newark traffic and then making it to Hartford, Connecticut or whatever, and then everything is closed. And then you get to Walmart, and I'm, me being from Florida, we know the first thing that happens is when we hear a storm is coming, you go rack up on, stack up on everything possible, whether it's drinks, whether it's the small necessity things, but the Walmart was completely empty. Uh, we went for water and things like that, but it, it, the only thing left was gallons of water, and it probably wasn't a brand that we're used to drinking. Um, it just been having to sit in a hotel and, and eat hotel food. is it, it was tough, and of course it gives, in my opinion, it gives Connecticut an advantage over us because we had to travel. We had to travel from... Vegas to Connecticut and then take a five-hour bus ride and then get in and don't have anything to eat. It, it was tough, but they. I know we're supposed to remain professional, but how can we remain professionals when we don't eat for 12 hours? Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's really hard.
0: Top two seeds are so important, and right now you guys are looking up at Connecticut. They're a game and a half ahead of you, and they own the tiebreaker as well, too and then now you've got mm-hmm. you know Seattle's falling back a little bit in the number three, but here comes Minnesota, mm-hmm. and you play them tomorrow night, and they've won five in a row. Right. How much emphasis mm-hmm. uh, between you guys talking as well as Bill Lambeer mentioning that, hey, we need to get one of these top two seats?
3: How important is that? For us, tomorrow is the biggest game of our season yet. Um, our focus is winning a game, uh, two by two, by two. You hear Bill say that a lot. Uh, one possession at a time. Um, so we know if we could uh, definitely come out with a win, we will hold uh, control of our own destiny. So we just got to keep doing everything we need to do. Uh, follow the game plan and trust Bill. Trust our assistant, uh, Bill's assistants and everything. And we'll be okay, honestly. Just do go back to playing Vegas basketball, what got us to the number two seed.
1: When it comes to Minnesota, maybe some people aren't as familiar with them as they are with Connecticut or Seattle or somebody like that. What do do they possess that makes them a difficult team to beat, or do you not even think about them, and you're just concentrating on playing aces basketball like you said, and if you do that, you'll win the game?
3: You have to respect all of their players that's on the floor. Um, That's the difference with them. They make everything hard, every possession, whether – They're on the defensive end or the offensive end. They put pressure on both ends, so we have to simplify everything for us. Um, Not too much worry about what they're doing, but worry about what we can control with us and everything that we do uh, with Vegas basketball.
0: All right, she is Raquana Williams. She mentioned she's from Florida. Your Miami Hurricanes, yeah. girl. They didn't look too good the other day. What's <laughs> up with that? Hey,
3: hey, hey, hey! Come on, Jiggy gave me enough about it. Just we're gonna redeem ourselves. Let me just say oh, that we're oh, gonna okay. redeem ourselves. Right. and then, then we'll talk about it.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna switch it up. Then I won't. I won't go in there. I'll switch it up to your your favorite pro team. And I know that you're a Ravens fan. And we got a game. We got. Aren't you a Ravens fan? I heard you like Baltimore. No true.
2: Indeed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so there, so there's, a, there's this team that's coming to town here next Monday night. I'm sure you're aware of it, the uh, Ravens and the Raiders. Are,
3: are, are you going to be in attendance at that game? Are you Are going to be back here or what? Absolutely. I'm going to be in the set. I'm going to be in the skybox, wherever they want to sit me. I already have a backup plan in case I'm cheering too loud in the box with the team. So a good friend of mine is Pernell McPhee. He's number 90. So if I'm kicked out the skybox, I'll just go on the sideline with him. So I'm prepared to get kicked out. So I know we're gonna take it.
0: (laughs) Who's got a better jumper? You or Lamar Jackson?
3: Huh. I I never really seen LJ shoot, honestly. Only seen him. Well, I saw him play against the kids, but that doesn't count. It doesn't count. <laughs> so it's so you. We'll have to, have a, we'll have to uh, play horse or something one day.
0: No, my money's on you. I mean, we're, we're putting our money on Bay Bay. There's no question about
3: but that. I still have to respect him. As a professional, I have to respect him because I know he's super competitive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we do know that Lamar Jackson will turn down a shot. <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh! Wow.
3: Wow. All right, we're going to leave it at that. We're going to leave it at that, exactly. We're going to leave it at
0: that. <laughs> Raquana Williams, Bay Bay, fantastic. Uh, the words that uh, of wisdom, too, that you were, you were talking about to, today, too. Uh, in that locker room, uh, about coming off the bench, uh, you are a team leader. You've been in this league for 10 years. Uh, great mm-hmm. stuff, and um, we enjoy watching you play. Uh, it's a pleasure, and we look forward to seeing you again tomorrow night and bringing home another W. And Like you said, most important game. Every night that you guys hit the court now is the most important game of the year, right?
3: Correct. Correct.
0: Yeah. All right, girl. All right, so we'll talk to you, and uh, hopefully we'll, ta- we'll get a chance to talk to you before uh, the Raiders and the Ravens game. Maybe we we'll have a little side wager on that. How's that? Let's do it.
3: All right. Let's do it. All right. We,
0: pr- <laughs> we appreciate you, girl. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You guys have a great day. All right, there she is. Raquana Williams. Bay, sharpshooter for the Aces. You know, she's shooting 38% from beyond the arc. That's pretty incredible. It's, it's more than serviceable. Yeah, it's one of the best. <laughs> uh, it's just, how did Nunchuck miss not getting the the... the, the the drum roll there when you hit that because what you said was perfect I don't think anybody was really expecting it yeah. it popped
1: in my head and I had to let it out so
0: what happened to your boy Nubchuck your boy fell asleep
1: in the wheel good good thing T.J. Reeves, Reeves wasn't the guest then because he would really be getting
0: him giving him garbage over it alright next hour Frank take hey this is your song why don't, you, why don't you take us out of this first hour man go ahead play your DJ from last Friday I don't even hear the song playing so. <laughs> pop it up Chuck
1: Oh, a little waterfalls, yeah. yeah. All right, yeah, so uh, we're going to come back. Uh, got our handicapper coming on. Yeah. Matt's going to be on, so uh, that'll be cool. We're talking a lot more, uh, maybe a little bit more tennis. Who knows? Layla Fernandez, the 18-year-old, 19-year-old from Canada, did win her match today, so that's exciting. Uh, get some more basketball talk in there as well, and maybe you'll even slip in another Terrible Tuesday.
0: Woo! All right. Hour two on the way. Terrible Tuesday. the plug. here come the aces on the run de-energizer looks for ty Young. sprints to the hoop off the glass and good live in the entertainment capital of the world
2: uh, mercy. it's the tc martin show show
0: for the fourth quarter of game number four. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor.
3: Hey, he's going to let one fly! Two is three! Two is three! De-Energizer put a three
2: from half court.
0: Oh my goodness! Are you kidding me? T.C. Martin. There were six seconds to go, and De-Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable 3 to give the Aces the lead. The doctor is now in. 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 All right. Appreciate Bay Bay, the sharpshooter for the Aces, joined us. 21 points in that last home victory for the Aces and 14 against Chicago on Sunday. Even though the Aces lost that game, they split those first two games with Chicago. They play them one more time back at the Trust Arena there in Chicago.
1: No, No, you don't say that they play at the Michelob Ultra Arena at Mandalay Bay Bay, do you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but I could say that. You could. Maybe, maybe tomorrow <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Game tomorrow against Minnesota. Huge game. Tickets are available. It's opened up. Get your tickets. Very reasonable. Michelob Ultra Arena, Mandalay Bay. And the 6pm game. Not 7 or 7, 6pm. Th- 6 6pm. 6 so we'd love to see you out there. 6pm. Because it's on ESPN2 tomorrow night. And again, uh, if you join us for the radio side, we're going to be back on Fox Sports, uh, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM pregame at 530. And I implore you, even if you're going to watch the game on TV or you're driving to the arena, listen to the interview that I'm going to have with Angel Mokotri tomorrow because I'm really looking forward to that, Uh, talking with her regarding being one of the top 25 players in the history of the WNBA and pretty that, prestigious. It is very prestigious, and actually, ten current players are on this list. Uh, and the WNBA announced it yesterday. Five-time uh, Olympian Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi. We know what they're all about. Uh, three players who were three-time MVPs uh, are also on this list. It's uh, it's it's pretty phenomenal. So you've got the other active players. Uh, currently, right now, are Tina Charles, Elena Deladon, both are playing for the Washington Mystics, Sylvia Fowles from Minnesota, who you really got to watch out for tomorrow night, plays for Minnesota, Brittany Griner from Phoenix, uh, Aneka Awumake from the Los Angeles Sparks, Candace Parker, formerly the Sparks, who is now with the Chicago Sky, and of course Brianna Stewart, another uh, Olympian there for uh, Seattle, and... The Las Vegas Aces' very own Angel McCautry. And fans probably are not really familiar with Angel McCautry because she was one of those players that played for the Atlanta Dream for her entire career, 11 seasons in Atlanta. Had some pretty good teams, but the accolades that she has. She's a five-time NBA All-Star, seven-time All-Defensive team, um, two-time WNBA scoring champ, um, you know, led the... The league uh, with, uh, you know, scored over 50 points in a game. Raquana Williams, our last guest, actually broke her record and scored 51. And then Liz Cambage broke Raquana Williams' record. And Liz has it now at 53. But uh, yeah, pretty impressive for Angel McCautry and for people who have never really seen Angel McCautry because she was injured, ACL injury, when she was with Atlanta in a game towards the end of the season in Atlanta against the Aces. And then 2019, she's getting ready to play with the Aces. She gets uh, uh, – 2020, playing with the Aces, gets injured in training camp, and then she fights her way back this year, getting ready to play in the first exhibition game against the Sparks, injures it again, ACL, out for nine months. And then she ended up having to sit out the 2017 – oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, Angel McCaudry is a two-time Olympic gold medalist as well too. So
1: is she like the – Female version in Atlanta of Dominique Wilkins down there?
0: Yes, very well. Very well put. And a uh, emotional moment for her and a lot of those fans. So remember when the Aces went to play Atlanta a week and a half ago? Uh, again, she she's out of her brace and all that sort of thing. And her rehabbing, she's only four months removed from the surgery. So she's supposed to be out another four to five months. And Bill Ambeer said to her, he goes, Hey, he goes, how would you like to uh, you know, get in the game tonight? And she goes, What? <laughs> he goes, Don't worry. He goes, I'm gonna find a spot maybe at the end of a quarter or end of the game or something like that and put you in the game. So this way, you know, you this this crowd wants to give back to you because you gave eleven years to this franchise. And sure enough, as it happened, Lambert, there was not a moment to get her back in the to get her in the game up until the, the final moment. And there was like ten seconds left, and Lambert says, Angel, you're in. And the look on her face was like, are you kidding me? Ripped off her sweats, went on there, standing ovation, the crowd from Atlanta. And they positioned her to go in the far corner. And so they inbound the ball, and then they passed her the ball. And then everyone's yelling, shoot,
1: shoot, shoot. Beer, I think, was yelling louder than anybody
0: else. Yeah, and so Angel tells the story that, well, I, I wasn't supposed to shoot. I am not supposed to do anything. So she shot it. And she missed, but uh, she got in the game and it was a pretty uh, emotional moment. But now you know what she's saying. She goes, Dang, I missed that shot! Well, yeah, and, and you know. <laughs> because I was expecting to shoot. I don't know about
1: you, but when I saw that, because I, I, I caught that moment yeah. when it happened in that game, because I, I don't watch every game from you know tip mm-hmm. off to the end of the game, but I always try to catch the end of that and see how mm-hmm. things are going. The first thing I thought of since you knew that they weren't going to guard her up in that. I was thinking they were going to do like they did with the girl in college that had the injury and that, that basically give right. it to her down low and let her take a layup to right. get in the scorebook or whatever. I was surprised when I saw her at the three-point line.
0: Yeah, because she wasn't expecting it. Yeah. The instructions were go as far away from the play as possible because you don't know if, what Atlanta's going to do. Are they still going to yeah. foul? But with the, the,
1: but with the crowd reaction yeah. and being from Atlanta, and that I just had the feeling yeah. that they would have backed off because they – they knew the game was over, too, and they would have grasped the moment and said, okay, let's make this ceremony buck or whatever. Right. I understand they were playing it safe, but I th- and that's what I'm saying. I thought they played a little bit too safe that they could have thrown yeah. her down low and no one was going to come within a mile of her.
0: So we see this in professional sports all the time, in college as well, too, is that you know, the coaches are like, hey, there's no way in the world you're dressing up. We know that you're anxious and you want to get on the floor, get on the field and, and play, but there's no way in the world. Our medical staff will not allow this. Our head coach, our owner's not going to allow it. Everybody in the Aces were like, okay. And it's like, wait a minute. It's not like she's coming back next week. It's like she's still got four months to recuperate here, yeah, the, yeah, the, that the, was
1: strange oh, oh. It, it was definitely very strange, and again well, it, the other thing too that do, that did make it a little bit stranger was it's not like her career's over because, like you said, she right. can come back next year and that right. it's not like a final hurrah or something like that, so that was a little bit strange, but yeah, and obviously and I know that you said that you were fielding questions about this too. Is she back now? Is she going to be available yeah. for the playoffs and right. this and that? It's like no, it was in Atlanta, it was the moment that was available. So that will be it. We're shutting everything down right again after this one
0: shot. When I was talking to her today at practice, and you know, she said, uh "You know, I, you know, I know the safe thing to do is that you know I, I can't play this year." She goes, "But uh, I'm pushing to to get in the game in the playoffs." She goes, "I." I, I think I could do it. I think I could do it. It's like you still got four months of rehab, girl. Well,
1: but uh, and, and again, but she
0: has made a remarkable recovery. It's uh, I, I've seen her shooting there, like going back a month or two ago, and I'm going, wow, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, and, and again, we had a situation like that, like you mentioned in the Florida State game yesterday, mm-hmm. when, when the young quarterback came McKenzie back Milton, on yep, yep. after missing, I think it was like a thousand and seventeen days or yep, thousand seventy six, would But I think it was seventeen. Yeah, three so, years, I mean, yeah, almost three years. Uh, certainly over two years. And and I'll tell you what, I don't know about you but his dad was cheering the other his mom looked so nervous especially when he ducked the ball down and run with it in that because and and again you you figure a mother's going to be a little bit but like you said they thought they were going to have to amputate the leg and then when they thought they could save the leg there was a lot of talk he'd never walk again Hmm. football wasn't even on the horizon when he first got that injury right
0: now in his world it probably
1: was But not in the doctors' and other people's.
0: Right. All right, Aces back in action uh, tomorrow night, uh, 6 o'clock, tip-off ESPN2. And looking forward to that. And, again, uh, crunch time, big game tomorrow night. Matthew Holt joins us from U.S. Integrity as we recap a busy college football weekend and a little look ahead, too, to NFL Week 1. What's going on, my man? TC, how are we doing? Oh, We're doing great. As you know, man, just a uh, busy, busy time here. This is a great time of year. You know, this is a time that you and I have always spent, you know, handicapping games. You'll be involved in our best bets uh, again uh, this year. Uh, you know, win that calendar clicks over to September and we know Matt that college football has already kicked off and the NFL is ready for week one it just gives a little bit of us uh, not just us but everybody a little bit extra juice huh don't you think yeah absolutely
2: and look the AGA you know recently put out numbers where just you know even though it was a big online betting year in 2020 still during COVID they estimate that there'll be 75 percent more adults will bet on football this year than bet on football in any other year previous, including last year. These numbers continue to skyrocket as more and more states open. I was just in Washington State last week helping some of the tribes get ready for their launch of legalized sports betting in Washington State, which, oh, by the way, like Arizona, will correlate this Thursday. So this Thursday is the first night of NFL the first night of legal sports betting is in Arizona. The first night of legal sports betting in the state of Washington. It is going to be a big Thursday for some people out here on the West Coast, my friend.
1: When it comes to that, too, and you're mentioning the different states opening up in that, too, I would imagine, although it's been around a couple of years, that the, all the, the different phone apps and everything in and the in-game wagering, that's got to really make it go through the stratosphere as well.
2: Yeah, and some of it takes time. You know, some of these states launch, but, uh, you know, the first operator to launch in a state, that's just one operator. It takes time for there to be a bunch of operators, people to figure out how to get a, get and download and make deposits on an app and make withdrawals. And um, some of those states, like Colorado, where we saw a launch in May of 2020, it took them a little while to really get those numbers skyrocketing, and now they're on fire. And Um, everything's mobile nowadays. Even people that are in property or on property still prefer to use mobile than walking up to the counter.
0: Yep, no doubt about it. All right, Matthew Holt joins us at U.S. Integrity, talking a little football gaming here, Matt. And, you know, the uh, contests here in town are phenomenal and more and more Places are doing them, and now we, we're seeing it it'll increase. Uh, we see that with our good friends at William Hill had a five hundred dollar entry fee for the college pick'em contest. That's now you know up to a thousand dollars, and again they have themselves quite an overlay here of uh, over eight hundred thousand dollars that uh, they could go in the hole here because they've guaranteed. You know, over a million dollar payout here. Kind of explain that in layman's terms to our listeners here about exactly what that means. And you, people aren't used to sports books being on the hook, but that is the case with them and could be with Circa too. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And at the end of the day, you know, if you have a thousand dollar contest and you're guaranteeing a million dollars in prizes, you need to get a thousand people to enter that contest. And if you don't get a thousand people to enter that contest, then you're going to pay out more money than you're actually going to take in. And a lot of people thought that was going to happen with circle last year. And then in the last, you know, seven days or so, they had this flood of people come in and they actually ended up making money. Uh, I'm in a both circuit contest this year, the survivor and the circle millions. And, and he, you know, the price went up They're They're guaranteeing $10 million this year in those contests. So, you know, it's interesting with so many contests now, and so so many of those operators offering um, these guaranteed prize pools. I think for the real astute gambler, you're going to have those opportunities to potentially find overlays.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how, how risky is that for a, a book like that? Now, Circa is going to get bailed out. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's unheard of. And when you say that number, ten million dollars in prizes, that's insane. I mean, Vegas has always been the sports betting capital of the world, but, I mean, even going back to a a decade or so ago, there was not these type of guarantees. What has changed here?
2: No, in fact, I finished second in the Westgate Super Contest in 2009, so not 20 years ago or anything. And at that point, I think the year I finished second, there were 482 entries. And at its peak, now they're getting about 3,500 entries. So in 10 years seven times the amount of entries is uh, and that's just how much that's grown and that's with competition. Back in two thousand nine there was no competition. There's one big contest. There were a lot of little contests and one big one. Now you have circa circa's gonna do three times, you know, they're gonna pay out three times as much as the super contest and William Hill's running a contest and there, there's always, you know, the Golden Nuggets always run a contest, and there's just so many of them now. But if you want to get people to go down and enter, these, these casinos have to offer the guarantees. Now, the good thing is is there's a, pretty, there's a nice little math formula that every single person that signs up for a betting account and makes at least a $500 deposit, one, is worth a certain amount of money lifetime to the casino, and without getting into exactly what that formula is, I can tell you that those users add up pretty quick for the casinos. So, as they promise these guarantees, even if there's an overlay, you know, if they get a couple hundred, you know, people that actually also signed up for betting accounts and made deposits, they'll be just fine.
1: Yeah, hopefully uh, you win that contest. You can. Uh get a nice cabana one of those pool sides with that as well so uh but when it comes to these contests matt how do you go uh, about playing them i mean do you always use your best bets do you kind of try to take a safer bet here or there maybe something that you're you're not going to hit on that you might take a money line bet someplace else or something do you just try to stay you know consistent with wins or, or or do you have a certain formula or does it just change week to week
2: I think you should come up with a certain formula and use it all year because at the end of the day, nobody's just going to go, hey, these are my best picks every week, and then hit enough of those to win the contest. Because nowadays you have to hit 70%. In order to even think about winning one of those contests, 70% is an astronomical number. The, the best professional gamblers in the world, and I could tell you this from more than a decade behind the counter of a book that took the biggest bets in the entire country, the best betters in the world hit 55, 56%, which means they make 3 or 4% uh, over time. You know, people may have better months, maybe even one better year. But over time, that's what the pros hit. To win one of these contests, you're going to have to hit over 70%. So you have to come up with a formula that works. When I finished second to Fez in 2009, we were picking games based on a formula that we used to, uh, in co- closing line value in comparison to what the contest odds were. And we had a formula that said we auto-picked games that did this. And we actually set up a formula that it was like if it moves 1.25 points toward the dog, then we bet it, but it has to move 2.25 points to the favorite or something, and it worked that year. And we played again the next year and used the same formula and didn't even come close to making the money, so it wasn't like there's one formula that fits all. You just have to come up with something you think will work for this season and stick with it. Because there's no way you're just going to be able to jump around and randomly pick five best bets every week and then hit 70%. So, you know, what I would tell people is come up with something that you're going to stick to all year and then do it. Because the problem is people get nervous. You know, you get to week 13, 14, and you're in contention to win three, four, five, ten million dollars. You know, everybody starts getting a little nervous, and you start getting a little gun-shy about taking those underdogs. But if you have a formula in place already that says, this is how we do our picks, and then that takes the nervousness out of it, you stick to your formula. That's how I see people tend to succeed in these
0: things. All right, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity, handicapper too. Uh, Week one, college football. We saw games from Wednesday all the way through Monday. We saw some pretty compelling games uh, we saw a couple blowouts as well too. Give us your thoughts. What were your takeaways from Week One college?
2: I thought it was amazing. I thought there were some great, just some great college football, and what a way to kick off the season. Uh, Ohio State Minnesota was a really fun game. I know Ohio State wins by two touchdowns at the end, but it was much closer for that for most of the second half. Uh, that was a really fun game. Virginia Tech at home, the atmosphere in that stadium was electric. They pulled over up the upset and get a big win. Um, you know, Notre Dame, uh, you know, coming with the overtime game, that game had huge playoff implications. And how often do we see two top five teams playing week one? I mean, Georgia Clemson, the game itself didn't end up being that entertaining 10-3. to But, I mean, you talk about huge implications on the line. And how about the West Coast playing some football again (laughs) as UCLA goes out and gets it done against national power in LSU?
0: And when you look at that game specifically, you know, there's a lot of question marks going into that game. Was LSU, you know, was it a one-off last year how bad that they played and you gotta remember how they got gashed in several games and then against lesser opponents and or are they gonna you know is it gonna be the LSU team that we saw you know back when Joe Burrow was there or you know is Ed Ogeron basically on his last legs well I think you know after looking at that game at the Rose Bowl on Saturday night saying okay LSU is not that good maybe they're more like the 2020 version, then the 2019 or 2018 version. And then UCLA, Chip Kelly, maybe he's he's finally got some recruits and, and now we're playing ball. So how much stock do you put into evaluating each one of these teams off of that game going forward?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. I think, first of all, LSU's had some problems on defense for three straight seasons now. Even the national championship season, where they had so many talented players. Remember all those guys that got drafted? They still won a lot of high-scoring games that year. And the offense last year, they, they didn't really have a quarterback, but they still put up points. They just couldn't stop anybody. And we saw it again here in this game, where they just couldn't get stops. At the end of the day, their backup quarterback and their starting quarterback is going to miss at least half the season. Their backup quarterback, who started this oh, game, Matt, Max three, Johnson, still threw for 330 yards and three touchdowns in the game. So the LSU offense there, you know, is, is still clicking here, the same as it was their national championship two seasons ago. It's that defense that continues to get gashed and. You know, Charbonnet rushed for almost 120 yards. UCLA as a team rushed for over 200 yards. At the end of the day, that's not going to bode well for LSU uh, as they move into the SEC but what a turnaround here for UCLA, who has struggled so mightily in Septembers under Coach Kelly, for him to get get in there, get this team off to a 2-0 and start. And I know Week 1 was Hawaii, but Hawaii turned around and won pretty handily in Week 1 after losing to UCLA in, in zero weeks. So I think UCLA is awful impressive, and I think the Pac-12 is going to be fun this year because USC is really good, Arizona State looked really good, Utah is going to be tough. Um, I think at the top, you know, it's no longer just Oregon, and we're not going to see a Colorado-Utah Pac-12 title game, I think, like we did last year. I think the Pac-12 has a little bit of firepower this year, and that's exciting for us West Coast football fans.
1: Yeah, and I thought that you hit on something important there, too, because I don't know if enough people are giving credit to the fact that UCLA scheduled that game before LSU, even though it was Hawaii. They had game speed. They had a game situation. I really think that helped them out there in that situation. But when you look at week one now, and it's all in the books and everybody's got a game under their belt now, was there anything that came up to you that was the biggest surprise, whether on a positive or a negative?
2: Penn State, boy, Penn State, you know everybody talked about Wisconsin's offense this year was going to be the best Wisconsin offense that we have seen in more than a decade since maybe since Ron Dane was there, that didn't happen they I mean they only scored ten points there. The turnovers at the quarterback position were terrible. I thought Penn State going out there and getting that win on the road might have been the most surprising uh, win of week one. The one that didn't really surprise me very much that, uh, that I always thought from the beginning, but everybody was all over, was North Carolina actually being a national championship contender. I know they have Sam Powell, who's a likely Heisman contender, maybe the first, round, first pick in the draft, but I never bought into North Carolina as the ACC or national contender. Let's get that right out of the way with a week one loss. At Virginia Tech.
0: All right. uh, Look ahead, Matt. uh, Got your eye on uh, one or two games for Saturday?
2: Uh, You know, I don't know. I think it's an interesting week this week, and I think things got really interesting because of the fact that, um, you know, the Big Ten opened the way that they did. Virginia, Illinois has me interested. So, Illinois played so well week one after Brandon Peters went out. And then they turn around and lay an egg to an FCS school in week two? Oof. I think Virginia is probably primed to cover this game. I don't like laying 10 in college football, but this feels like one of those spots where Virginia should probably get it done. You know, and uh, Colorado, I think, continues to be underrated every year. They ended up in the Pac-12 title game last year. This is a team that's played really good football for a couple years in a row, and all of us out west have noticed it, but they don't have a flashy style. They really are heavily reliant on their ability to run the football so no one pays attention to them because they don't really end up with any Heisman contenders that score a ton of points but they just play gritty football now in Colorado. They're catching 17 points at home against the Texas A&M team. I actually think that game's probably going to be a lot closer and probably would take the home team Colorado. uh, Well, I guess it's a neutral site game, so I shouldn't say the home team, but they are playing in Denver, so technically much more of a home game for Colorado, who will certainly have the home crowd. I'd probably take the points there with the Buffaloes.
0: All right, probably one of the uh, most, uh, you know, attractive games here is Oregon against Ohio State. That'll kick off at nine o'clock on Saturday morning. The Ducks ranked eleventh, Ohio State four. And uh, you know, what was your thoughts from what we saw from Ohio State in the opener?
2: I thought Ohio State looked good. Uh, um... I was really impressed with the offensive line. Gosh, that kid had a bunch of time to throw to receivers who were wide open. We already knew that Ohio State had the best receiving core in the country. I'm still not sure about the quarterback, but if the offensive line is going to give him nine seconds, then those receivers are certainly going to come open. I'm not as down on Oregon as a lot of people are. I, I know right now everyone's saying, oh, my God, Oregon barely beat Fresno State. But Frank brought up a good point earlier is that, you know, just like UCLA who played in that week zero, having that extra game of prep means a lot. Fresno State had one of those cupcake games in week zero. They played UConn, so they had a game under their belt. They were able to basically have a scrimmage at game speed to work out the bugs to make sure they were prepared. At the end of the day, Oregon did what they needed to do against a really gritty, tough Fresno State team and got the win. A Fresno State team who, again, had already had a game under their belt. I think Oregon shows up, and I I wouldn't be as eager to lay the points here as I think most people are after the Week 1 result.
0: Yeah, I think Oregon's a, a live dog here. Say what you want about Ohio State, and they've got you know, great speed at the skill positions, and they are going to be at home at the horseshoe, granted, but you know, you're going to give me two touchdowns? With Oregon, i gotta I got to look into this. I gotta, I'm i intrigued with uh, taking the Ducks on the road here.
1: Well, and I'm intrigued by the game, too, because obviously I watched every second of the Ohio State game, and uh, their pass defense still bothers me a little bit, being a Buckeye fan. And Stroud, yeah, he looked great in the second half, but like you said, Matt, he had wide open receivers. He missed some open guys in that first half, so I'm not sure about his accuracy throwing the ball downfield. He obviously got better when he got more comfortable in it. But um, they gave up a lot of rushing yards, and I get that. Minnesota has a good running attack. But I'm, I'm still concerned about their pass defense. That was kind of uh, one of their weak links last year, and it wasn't great against Minnesota. A team probably more known for their run than their pass.
2: And what about the Holy War next week? byu Utah, big game out here, the Holy War. Touchdown spread. BYU coming off that monster season last year. I, I, this is the year I think the Utes rebound a little bit. Um, But look, I think there's going to be plenty of love for BYU catching a touchdown here and probably rightfully so. All
0: right. Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. Matt, before we let you go, let's uh, look at Thursday night. NFL kicks it off. It is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Dallas Cowboys in this line. Open, what, seven, seven and a half. Now I'm seeing some eights. Uh, All the money coming in on the Bucs. Is this because of brady is it because of dak prescott not playing anything in the preseason still people thinking that that he's injured here i mean uh i I don't know i don't know if you want to lay you know you know eight with tampa bay here
2: i would be really weary Uh, look tom brady in his career if you were going to beat tom brady the time to do it was always september look tampa bay wasn't that great in september last year yeah. I would be really hesitant about laying eight eight points here. This isn't the same Dallas Cowboys team that we saw on the football field last year. They're going to have their quarterback back. Their defense can't possibly be as bad as last year. And any time everybody's on one side, I'm nervous and everybody's on the Bucks.
1: Yeah, and of course uh, we know that uh... – They're not going to have a boat parade after this game for Tom Brady, but uh, it seems like, according to him anyhow, that he survived the COVID there. But when you think about that, and it is the season opener for them, isn't there always that letdown in the first game after winning a Super Bowl, or is that something that people talk about more than it actually exists?
2: Not just that. Not just the Super Bowl letdown, Frank, but... You know, how many times over the last five years in New England did Tom Brady get off to a rough start in September and people say, well, Tom Brady is finally done, and then inevitably the Patriots would end up in the Super Bowl? Historically, he just doesn't play his best football in September. It takes him a little while to get into the groove, especially as he's gotten older. He didn't play that great of football in September with the Bucks last year. There's plenty of history in recency here to tell us that Tom Brady doesn't play his best in September and eight points is a ton for a game that probably figures to be a shootout. Uh, for me, it would be Dallas or pass.
0: You know, I remember that game so well last year, too, Matt, when the, the Bucks opened at the, the Saints, and there was so much hype regarding that game. And Brady threw those two interceptions. They got behind 17-7 to just like that. I mean, they were dominating in that first half of that game. They came back a little bit in the second half, but the tone was really set, and that's why they lost that game. I think it was, what, 34-23 to last year. But that... The, the, you're right. If you're going to get Tampa Bay, and especially now, you know, with the okay, you know, we had the Super Bowl. We, you know, we will, we, we won this and that, and you, you're getting everyone's best shot. So I'm not really sold on Dallas because I still think you know I'm not a Mike McCarthy fan, and uh, Dak Prescott hasn't seen the field. Ezekiel Elliott hasn't seen the field at all as well too. So, but I, I, I see why that line is going in that direction because. People are going against the Cowboys because they think that Dallas is still a little bit of a mess. And then now the Zach Martin news comes out. And Dallas is a totally different team with Zach Martin healthy. And then when he doesn't play, I mean, they're not very good. I mean, that's a big void for them on the line. So, uh, but I'm still, I think the Bucks win the game. But uh, I, I'm not, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to, to lay it. But I sure in the heck don't want to bet Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, and Mike McCarthy right now. Do I see a teaser in your future? Oh! You love the teasers. Yeah, I do love the teasers. But this this is a perfect teaser game. Tease Tampa Bay down. Yes. Can I get a witness? He's
2: actually right here. So while I'm, I'm certainly not an advocate for teasers normally because they're a net negative proposition, right. there are what they call positive ev teasers or professional teasers where you go through two both key numbers three and seven so teasing a small you know a plus one and a half underdog through three and through seven or teasing an eight point eight and a half point favorite down through seven and through three can be a positive ev situation we're seeing a lot of teasers this week uh tampa bay buccaneers tied to the la rams
0: yep there you go All right, my man, I appreciate the time as always. Uh, Look forward to seeing you. And, yes, you're going to be able to get Matt's picks on the uh, website with the best bets uh, as well this year. So start doing some homework, my man. Three college, three pro. We'll release those on Friday.
2: All right. Thanks, guys. Best of luck this week. Take care.
0: There he is, Matthew Holt. And, uh, again, uh, we always know Matt from the other side of, of the counter. Now he has his business with U.S. Integrity. He's very involved with all of these college football conferences but uh, again, yeah, he was <laughs> almost won it all, the million dollars, in 2009 at the Westgate Contest and finished second. And that brought home a pretty good chunk of change. So, you know, kudos to him. He's a very good handicapper, as we know.
1: I find it interesting, too, that he said that uh, the teaser parlor that everybody's playing is Tampa Bay and the Rams, mm-hmm. uh, two teams that we basically haven't seen their quarterbacks.
0: Mm, right. you
1: know? And the Rams, we haven't seen at
0: all. Right. <sighs> in that case... I mean, the Rams, from a defense perspective, they have so much. And Matthew Stafford is such an upgrade over Jared Goff. Not seeing Matthew Stafford in the preseason for me is not that big a deal because I know he didn't get nicked up. I mean, this guy has been hurt. Because you know? you're not going to get golfed. Yeah. That, that's the real exactly. reason that you're looking at it. You're I'm not, not going to get golfed again. That's right. <laughs> Jeez. And you won't you see prob- me betting Detroit. I was going to say, year. you
1: probably won't be betting too much on Detroit. No. Though you
0: will be looking for their sound bites after their losses. You got that right. <laughs> Yeah, how is our good friend Dan Campbell doing, huh? There we go. Yeah, we haven't heard from Dan Campbell. We have to get a good soundbite from him this week. There we go. All right, Uh, a lot more to hit on from the football side as well, too. And uh, maybe even another terrible Tuesday take from college football, too.
2: I do exactly what I want to do. It's It's the the doctor, T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The
0: doctor is now in. All right, don't forget, we have our Picks for OV contest that is happening this season again. And uh, we invite you to get a free entry. The entry fee is $50, goes to a great cause. Opportunity Village with four campuses, benefiting adults with intellectual disabilities, uh, a great charity that uh, we're involved with, very proud to be involved with uh, again for another year. And uh, their Picks for OV contest, where you get to pick All the games, the NFL games, against the point spread, and you're competing for valuable prizes. It's a $50 donation slash entry fee for that. But you could play for free with us. That's right. So you could go against myself in Ballpark Frank and Nunchuck for free. And we'll give away an entry right now. 702-221-7283-702. 2 7283 give us a call and you'll get into the contest the picks for OV contest for FRWE. All right And uh, yes, we love our picks for OV so we'll be giving away free entries into that uh, as well too And you can also hit us on Twitter, hit me at TC Martin 21 if you'd like to get in that contest and compete. For great prizes, they got staycations, great dining options, golf packages. Yes. Yes. Pix for OV. Great stuff.
1: Staycations is very popular. The thing that started a few years ago and then mm-hmm. with the pandemic came even more popular. And now even though more and more people are coming from out of state mm-hmm. again and even out of the country to come to Vegas, there's still plenty of rooms in this town to check out a staycation.
0: Yeah. And uh, I never really got into the whole staycation thing. I, I get it. I think I did it one time, but I found myself wanting to go back home. Just, uh, you know, I don't know. Just I'm in a hotel. I'm doing all this stuff. It's a great getaway. I mean, I guess if you got your day packed and you're going to a show at night or, you know, say you got a, a boxing event or a game or something. Okay, I, I get that. But just stay in a hotel for an entire weekend. I don't know. I, I need my TV. I need my remote. I need to have all of my my games in front of me because you know you're kind of limited on what you can get on a hotel TV. You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, they do have sports books though on the hotels, so you I can understand. see everything going on there. I understand? And, and why would you care for a staycation? You go out to eat at the finest places in town every day, anyhow. So every day's a staycation for you. You just stay at home instead of in the room, but you're always out at one of the places. Here's my food picture from Blue Ribbon. Here's my food picture from Hanks. Here's my food picture from here. You're always out and about. You don't eat a staycation. Some people do. <laughs> Did I feel some hangriness there? There's no hangriness. Oh, I'm just it. stating the facts. Okay. I'm
0: being perfectly frank. And, and, and that's why. <laughs> I said what I said. I'm not really into the staycation. No, because you, you don't need it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because every day is a staycation for you, except for when you oh. actually go on vacation mm-hmm. to Town, mm-hmm. to Houston, mm-hmm. wherever the Astros are playing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you know how bummed I was this weekend, man? The that you didn't Astros- go down to San Diego? Well, they were playing in San Diego. Double B was there at Pasadena, so I could have went to that game too. UCLA... Against uh, LSU. You guys could have hooked up at Del Mar and the Padres Yes, Exactly. And I could have went to my favorite Mexican restaurant in Coronado, right there in San Diego, Miguel's. I mean, this whole weekend would have been beautiful. But I couldn't get away. Couldn't get away. As Earth, Wind & Fire said, get away.
1: Why does my heart bleed for you? (laughs) (laughs) That would have been
0: the weekend to do it.
1: But. As opposed to the other weekends that you just recently took off and you did go places. That's right. When you went to Sacktown, When you went to Houston. I'm sure you got something else planned here soon. Yeah,
0: yeah. I got a couple. Yeah, I got got to get away. Wow.
1: Wow. He had to miss. No, I'm Chuck. He had to miss one weekend on the road. Let's let's play a little little somber music for TC.
0: It'd be nice if I go on the road with the Aces, you know, for playoffs. Yeah, maybe one of these days the, you will Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It'd be be nice if we could get that arranged, I mean, right?
1: I made it down to Henderson a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like getaways. Yes. Okay. I want to. I'm planning. Okay. To go, the Astros in the playoffs. But here's my dilemma with that one: is that I don't want to go the opening weekend. For a couple reasons. The the first round of the playoffs. The division series. Because I did that with Dusty in Washington, D.C. Did it twice and they didn't get out of that round.
1: Right. So your yeah. superstition.
0: Well, not really. I mean, not really. But I'm just saying. So, I have so much confidence that they're going to get by the first round this year. That I want to plan my vacation, staycation, baseball, whatever. You know, work, whatever. That uh, I want to go the ALCS, the championship series. I'm banking that they're going to get by the division series. Plus I got an event in Sacramento that, that weekend of the is that division Hall series. of Fame stuff? The, no. Got a concert. Back, yeah, back back doing some concerts. So I got that. The Hall of Fame's not until end of January. Oh, okay. So we got time for, that. Yeah, time for that. But anyway. So your
1: Hall of Fame is around the same time as the uh, Australian Open. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let, only you, my friend. <laughs> ol- ol- only you would take it with that. All right. Speaking of US Open, what do you think about Shelby Rogers? She defeats uh, Ashley Barty, number one in the world. Uh, huge upset there. And then she loses to what? Uh, Emma Radicono? I, I butchered that name. In straight sets. Radicono, yeah. Yeah. And then, so she feels now that she's going to get thousands of death threats. She said in the post game in the. Uh, in the post-match press conference, said, she said, I'm going to get about 9 million death threats because she beat Barty, but then she lost. She goes, I hate social media.
1: Well, I agree with her on the social media thing. I think she's being way overly negative about the death threats because she beat Barty. That's an obvious place for a letdown in the next uh, match. Uh, It was a big upset for an upset for her to beat Barty. Radicano's one of these young players that's coming along and playing a really good game. I saw Shelby Rogers lose to Lauren Davis out here at the Darling Tennis Center during the Tennis Channel Open. Uh, Her father was actually an old lineman for the Miami Dolphins because I was talking to him during that tournament. She's a good young player. Uh, She's got a lot of power in that. Maybe not the fastest player on the court, but um, no, I mean, she had a great tournament. I don't know why she would say that. I don't know why she did say that. If anybody's going to send her a death threat because she beat Barty and lost the next one, that's again, it's like if you beat Serena back in the day, people frequently lost their next match after yeah. that because you beat the number 1 player
0: in the world. And people were comparing that to the, that exact same situation that you described about beating Serena Williams that and especially if you're from another country, where you know okay you pull an upset but then you lose to to someone lesser or something like that they they really get get agitated with this thing they say, oh, and and we've seen it we've seen it with soccer we've seen it with other sports but yeah these international sports you tend to get more of that than you do in a typical NFL game or major league baseball or the NBA
1: well and and, and and again maybe it's because of what you talked about at the very start of the show mm-hmm. with oh no Americans in the quarterfinals. Well, Shelby Rogers had a chance to be one of them. There. How dare she lose yeah. a match that we think she, we should win, even though, oh, by the way, she's ranked
0: below the girl that she lost to. Well, we know how passionate fans are of the Wisconsin football program in the state of Wisconsin. Would it surprise you if Graham Mertz got some death threats? After his performance against Penn State on Saturday? No, because fans are insane.
1: People say it's short for fanatic. Sometimes I think it's short for idiot because a lot of them are. Remember when Boise's eight years ago when their kicker was getting death threats all over the place for missing a field goal? And we see that in other games and you know teams, but I remember that one very vividly in that. If you ever send a death threat to any athlete because they lost a game or a match or something... Then I'm sorry that's on you. Just shut up. And especially a college kid. Oh, we've seen it. That's, oh, we've seen we, it all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, the Boise State kicker. I mean, he's not a pro. He's not getting paid. I mean, at Boise State, they only get like 50-cent Cokes. They don't get Mustangs in that like they do at Alabama. So, <laughs> you know, it's a very lower pay, pay scale if they do have one.
0: So the Wisconsin-Penn State game, this was such a crazy game. The score was tied at zero at halftime. Zero! And that was at Camp Nothing. Randall, right? That at was Camp Randall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the best part, of course, was jump around at the end of the third quarter, which is fantastic. And these networks now, they crack me up. I mean, Gus Johnson is hyping it up the entire game. to Hang with us. We're going to show jump around live. That's right. We're going to show it live. So they, they show it live, but they still went to a two-and-a-half-minute commercial break So the poor referees and players and everything, especially for Penn State, they had to wait, seriously, five minutes before the last snap of the third quarter in the first snap of the fourth quarter. And they hyped it up, hyped it up. And they said, you're not going to believe this. If you've never seen the jump around before, you've got to do it. It's house of pain. Of course, Gus Johnson loves the old school R R&B and B and all that stuff, you know? So, uh, yeah, they did it. And that was definitely the highlight. And then of course they zoom in on Gus Johnson. He's bopping, bopping his head and everything. And, uh, it is fantastic. And it was appropriate
1: they played jump around in yeah. that particular game because yeah. the ball was jumping all yeah. around uh, yeah. inside the 10-yard line for
0: Wisconsin. Oh. Not in a good way, though. It, it, it was it was sickening on what happened there at the end. And now Chuck wants to play this long introduction there. But this is – I love this, though. And going to those Wisconsin games, Fantastic. Would you make it a bucket list thing
1: for people that haven't seen it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, this part right here, the old Cartwright Bonanza theme, they do that first because they kind of like do these little wheelbarrow races yeah. first, and then it goes into jump around after that. It's, 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 so. six, it's like But Gus Williams, he like overhyped 90s. it, though. Overhyped it. But it was still pretty cool, but you just don't need to do that. Just go ahead and boom. You cut to it and you play it, and you let it speak for itself. Jump around while you're watching this at your house. I just bump the head like this. Look at Nupchuck. You look at your boy Nupchuck. Okay, so, you, so you do the jump around. I don't jump, but you, I've had people in you my hop house around. jump. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. How can this not get you going? Even if you're a rocker,
1: get you going. Because so it's, <laughs> it's no During this. I use my channel changer and I drive yeah, around. It
0: right. I I I've been up there. I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it. I, I don't need to see it on TV. Uh, instituted in 1995, I believe it was. Is that's when they instituted. Yeah. And uh, but uh, it, it, it is seen. It's a classic. It's great. But on this terrible Tuesday, Graham Mertz. Yes, he was horrendous. He was terrible. Penn State was terrible for the first half. They had one first down in the first half. And Wisconsin could not capitalize. Still no score at halftime. Wisconsin dominated time possession. 42 minutes, Wisconsin had the football in this game. And it wasn't until the fourth quarter that Penn State started getting things going. But still, Wisconsin should have won this football game. Mertz. We talked about Mertz and I bought into the Kool-Aid myself. I said it last week. I own it. You know? I said, yeah, he could have the most athletic ability since Russell Wilson's one year at Wisconsin after he transferred from NC State. Oh my goodness. This guy was no different than the past Hammenagers that they've had at Wisconsin. Hornybrook, who I would always talk about, getting hornybrooked, getting goffed. Now I think I'm gonna get merched. Got merched on Saturday. Four turnovers inside the 10-yard line from this Hammenegger. Himself, two fumbles, two interceptions. Yes, two interceptions down the stretch in the final two and a half minutes this clown had. They could have just ran the ball, but he couldn't get the snap. He couldn't hold on to the ball. He got nervous, and he directed two great drives in, in the fourth quarter down there, and he gets down there, and he can't handle the snap. It's embarrassing. Four turnovers inside the ten from your quarterback. Inexcusable. Terrible.
1: So you're telling me that someplace Jay Cutler is actually laughing at this? <laughs> was he trying That's to throw terrible. it to Greg Olson every time in the end zone?
0: <laughs> because I don't know what he was he went doing to that all the time. Yes. Two picks in the final two and a half minutes. Well, at least he spread
1: around his turnovers. You know, he had a couple of interceptions, a couple of fumbles. You know. You know the worst part is they had
0: first in goal from the one from the one and this guy can't handle the snap and he goes backwards to the 10 but you like food yeah
1: so you probably would like the uh the special at the bakery from now on the merch
0: turnover special you know some days you're pretty good man other days you irritate the hell out of me (laughs) well then i'm doing my job (laughs) But you know what? You know, I have noticed
1: a pattern to that. Yeah. Usually when I irritate you, it's not just me that's irritating you. I think you have wagers on these games. <laughs> so I think the irritation is before I ever even open my mouth. So I think, and you bring it up, and then I just pile on it a little bit, and that irritates you. But the irritation is already there. Yes. It's like having a rash. But it' just spread it further
0: I, I don't want a <laughs> visual of rashes. i don't want to hear about that, and actually no it's, it's a
1: nice Wisconsin yeah. red I was, rash I was
0: irritated by Wisconsin performance as you thoroughly dominate a game and you can't come away with, with a victory so uh, they, no, they
1: should have yeah. won and, yeah. and by a
0: lot yeah. But actually, obviously yeah my irritation with you w- was was not during that story, so that's fine. you know just when you, you know when you, when you can't appreciate you know the the jump around or the, the certain songs or the hypeness. See, that's the irritation part. Where well, you could just say, yeah, you know, go with the flow. It's pretty cool. I have nothing against it. It just doesn't do anything
1: for me. Uh-huh. I'm not going to sit there through a five-minute break to we watch w- it on TV. W- no. You, I gonna, didn't think it was going to be five minutes. Now, you know what I did think was cool this yeah. week from a fan standpoint? Yeah. The Texas A&M game. Did you see what they did? They had the red, white, and blue game. So everybody in the third deck wore red shirts. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the second level wore blue. Everybody down in the field level seats wore white. It was incredible to see 100,000 people or whatever it is all that came, and they did that for the United States, and showed their patriotism and everything else. And we know AM is a you know a USA school. You know they wave Same the flag and all the colors
0: of their state flag, yeah. which I so, saw repeatedly on yeah. But I mean I thought that was highway. pretty cool. Yeah.
1: When you plan something like that, you still wonder how many people are going to adhere to it. When I was watching that game, it looked pretty much like everybody wore the right shirts at the levels their seats were. I thought that was very cool in yeah. a time when this country can use a little bit of unity.
0: Exactly, and you know that that really, uh, you know, resonates with me because I was on that field just last month. Yeah. I, lo- I loved that stadium. I loved being able to walk around that campus and being on that field. It was, and I told you I couldn't. It was like a putting green yeah. on that thing. People that were there, they thought like, "Well, oh, you know, they got astroturf on." Right? No, that's real grass. It's it's really literally a putting green there. Pretty well, yeah, cool place. A M is great. You're yeah, right. and, and of
1: course, A&M, I mean they, they make all sorts of different grasses in mm-hmm. that they're an agricultural school, right. but but they didn't have to jump around to get people into the game. Mm-hmm. They just said wear your shirt and they did.
0: Mm-hmm. You don't have to jump around to get in the game. You just once you're there, you participate in a student body activity that is a longstanding tradition. Love these college traditions. Very cool.
1: I have nothing against it. I know. Not a big fan of Penn State's white out though. Really? Yeah, no,
0: that's that's kind of cool, too. Yeah,
1: because they beat Ohio State a couple times yeah, when yeah, they did yeah, it. So. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't, don't like it. Yeah. Remember Ted Ginn Jr. playing a really bad game in the rain, and they were doing the whiteout. It annoyed me.
0: All right. Just stay out of those showers over there at uh,
1: <laughs> Beaver Stadium. All right. I'm not going. I'm not touching that one. <laughs> I hope not.
0: <laughs> or be touched. There you go. All right. I want to thank Matt Holt for joining us today. Raquana Williams from the uh, Las Vegas Aces. Appreciate her. That of would course, make me
1: jump around. Yes, that would definitely would <laughs> make you run
0: fast. That's what I think. At this stage in my life, I'd have to just stay in fight. I'm not. I'm not outrunning too many people. <laughs> We've got some great story time coming your way tomorrow. Make sure you tune in. Chris Bazio joins us. Yes, he's got a Ted Simmons story for us. I believe tomorrow as well too. You no. Know? Hall of Famer, so we've got that going on. Uh, we got more football happening, Cosmopolitan. We are back there on Friday, so make sure that you join us. Our bets segment is back. So, yeah, it's football week. It's football season. And, of course, plenty of Major League Baseball to talk about. There's never no dead time with us. Never. Never slow. Double B should be in a good mood. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he will be. Yeah, from that UCLA victory, no doubt. All right. For ballpark, Frank, TC Martin saying so long, miss any part of the show. You know where to go? The website, tcmartinshow.com.